So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Good. See you and uh, happy Friday to everyone. Um, so, look, you know, Volution, uh, first of all, um, I actually, before we go to the Volution, I think, Johnny, we, we met a few years ago, I think, back in my Bloomberg days, um, perhaps either or in London or Bristol. And I think from memory, your, your, your previous business was was it armada ventures um, yeah, or am I I was, the wrong tree there? yeah absolutely i i was um helping uh b2b SaaS pl platforms and fintech businesses raise typically their first or second institutional check into their into their company so kind of a round and b round fundraising mandates was the focus then which is kind of how we got to where we are today partly so yeah that's right good and then and then J james what where, uh, with with yourself, the the previous life to evolution in, in in brief. I suppose we don't want to go back to kindergarten. So um, just where, <laughs> how he how you got involved in? in no, in, yeah, in, no, in, I'll, 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 the crew of Jonathan. I'll accelerate time a little bit uh, from there. So um, uh, back, background uh, originally an engineer and a software engineer uh, at university, but I um, I kind of came out of that and got a job at JP Morgan working in TMT uh, in the uh, actually in the last dot-com boom it was the top of the dot-com boom and did that for a few years uh, doing most of sort of cable fundings uh, 3G rollout um, but actually that that market crashed as everyone will know in the early 2000s and then I started doing private equity work um, both at JP Morgan and then I joined uh, a private equity fund called Montague Private Equity. Um, a bit different to what we're doing now, so was focused there on uh, upper mid-market buyouts, uh, relatively large scale, quarter of a billion to a couple of billion. But I've always had a, I don't know, my passion is in tech. Uh, and while I was at Montague, I got investing in some early stage companies, really enjoyed that, really enjoyed what was going on in the UK tech scene. Um, and decided to leave and set up uh, a business that some some of your uh, viewers might know, which is uh, called Venture Founders, which was really a conduit for high net worth investors to get access to early stage tech. And through Venture Founders, we made, I don't know, roughly 40, well, investments into 40 companies, predominantly fintech and SaaS, but also some medtech. Uh, we did about 150 funding rounds for those companies. Um, but Johnny and I have known each other for a while and, and really saw this gap in the market uh, in the post A sort of post B space, which is how we sort of settled on this idea for evolution, mm -hmm. um, and that that's that's what we've been uh, bringing to market um, uh, through our fund um, over the past uh, you know uh, over the past couple of years. With the has the evolution um, focus has been on the whole fintech SaaS space as well, or, or have you have you had a bit more variety? No, it's, it's it's very much enterprise enterprise software, enterprise SaaS, and and, and fintech. Okay, and, and how we've made um, sorry, Chris. No, we, we've made nine investments in that space so far. Um, roughly, roughly fifty fifty fintech SaaS. Um, yeah. And I suppose our, as Johnny said, it's enterprise SaaS. In fintech, we have a we have a bias towards SaaS based fintech, but we will do more consumer facing fintech where there's a product angle. 
So, um, so for example, we're uh, we invested in a business called Habito, which your listeners may well know, which um, you know, online mortgage broker, but but actually provides its own mortgages um, and value add services. Uh, we're in um, uh, Dead Happy, which is a insure tech business uh, focused on life insurance, uh, and the you know we we like that business because of the product angle around their differentiators in in that space. So. Uh, predominantly SaaS, but um, uh, with a remit to go a bit wider. And 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 the is this A plus or B plus or what what what's the split on those those nine? Well, maybe I'll take this quickly. So look, I mean, in terms of how we position ourselves, we think it's so we're, we 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 can differentiate ourselves from a, from a, from a lot of other pots of money in the sense that you know as we've sort of alluded to. We are often writing our first checks in convertibles to give the founders extra cash runway to the next round. Okay. What that basically looks like is it's often, you know, bridge to the B round or bridge to the C round. So as I used to often talk to CEOs and founders about, you know, getting the right quality investor, the right type of investor at your next round is, is key to ensuring that the, uh, the, the, having the right sort of journey to exit. Mm-hmm. And so is it better to get some more uh, cash runway now, push out your round until you've really got your metrics and everything nailed down and then get your tier one investor at the B or C round. One of the things that I think is very difficult with bridge investing, um, even in earlier stage, is trying to figure out, as you were alluding to, which ones are a bridge to nowhere and which ones are a bridge to somewhere. Um, Because you guys are specializing in FinTech and SaaS, what are, is it all growth metrics that you're looking for? Are there other things that companies have to sort of build out to bridge that gap between series A, series B? Can you walk us through some, like what some of the things that you would be looking for are? Yeah, do you, uh, Johnny, you or I? Yeah, I mean, we take one we're looking at at the moment, one of our portfolio where we're going to do an extension round for them. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, a lot of it is obviously very, very metric driven, um, but also it's, you know, about the team in terms of, in this particular example, they've recently really filled out their, their, their C-suite and filled a lot of gaps in their headcount, which will, we will under, it seems to be underpinning um, the future growth and future metrics. So, you know, are they built for scale? Do they have the right team to do that? And it might sound like a simple thing, but a lot of companies are, are sometimes find it tough to hire the right people at the right time at the right cost. So, you know, do they have the team built for scale and have they got evidence they've been able to, to get to the early part of the metrics? If they can get the early metrics, then let's help them get to the next stage. So, I mean, a lot of it is, is very metric driven and team driven, really. And I guess the third piece of that equation is what's changing in the competitive landscape for them. You know, um, is there an M&A going on? Are there some corporates coming in? Who else is getting well funded? kind of those pieces of the, of the jigsaw, really. Is there a lot more exit focus and exit planning that goes on between A and B, or is it still a bit early for that? My it's still a bit early, I think. Everyone has different views on sort of exit narrative, yeah. don't they? My personal view is it's too early and focus on, on the journey and building the business. And um, that, 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 that conversation comes quite a lot later on, I think. Hmm. I think there's a, there's a real customer piece. I mean, I, I think that, you know, having, having invested in a lot of SaaS, and a lot of your um, uh, listeners will know this, that, that, that the, the execution journey between A and B, I think some management teams either deliver on that well or, or fail to deliver on it and either need 
you know, sort of rejigging or support. Um, I think there's a real customer piece. I mean, one of one of the things that we regularly find is companies, you know, you 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 get that you get that capital at A, which is great, but you, you actually haven't nailed down your ideal customer, and you're probably still selling very widely um, and at kind of very different levels. Um, and actually, real really nailing that, really nailing. Um, the focus around who your ideal customer is, how how you then build that base. That those are the companies that we see that go on to be very very successful. I think you touched upon it very briefly earlier, but where where's this hose pipe of cash coming from? Who are you uh, who who are you tapping up here? Well, look, I think, and I listened to some of your other um, your other guests on their podcast before. You know, the, the comment has been made a few times that. You know, the fundraising journey for LPs in, in venture funds is kind of a two-year journey. We looked at it, um, we, we were slightly more um, eager to get up and running um, and uh, uh, impatient. And we had this deal flow we wanted to do. And you know what it's like. You, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting on a plane doing fundraising for two years, you're missing that deal flow you want to get done and you're missing doing deals. Uh, and I think actually Camilla from ECAT, you had a similar conversation with her on this. And so we thought, how do we get up and running and get to market quicker? And so the, the sort of first amount of capital we've brought in um, has been, uh, where's it been? It's been sort of UK and Channel Isles, um, high net worth investors and small family offices, which was um, a quick route to us get, getting ourselves seeded to enable us to do our first uh, couple of handfuls of deals. Um, and we've now got to a certain size where we're just, we've just been starting to talk to institutions. So we just had our first few institutional pitches. Um, but we were mindful that we needed to show as a first time team and some of the challenges that come with that, you know, show that a, you can work well as a team, that you can do the right deals on the right sort of commercial terms and you can roll out, you can build out your fund model in practice. So, you know, as we come to the end of 2021, the end of our sort of first full year in operation, as James says, you know, we've seen one exit you know, earlier than expected, but great news. Uh, we've built out our portfolio. We've got visibility, how we're going to do 15 or 16 deals and, and as we hit, as we get to that point, we're now beginning to warm up people with um, uh, with larger checks on the institutional side. And I suppose looking to the the year ahead, um, we're coming obviously coming towards the end of twenty one. Um, looking at it optimistically, um, are we going to continue to push ahead? I think in the industry and and see probably record numbers of deals in twenty two or. Do you think there's a red herring or a banana skin hidden away somewhere that could throw a spanner in the works? God, that's three like corny phrases in one sentence. <laughs> corny phrase bingo. There's always, there's always a spanner, right? I think I think yeah. the um I mean look, look, look um <laughs> I don't think the UK's had a very good track record in venture uh prior to what what's going on now. So um you know, if, if I mean, I hate to say this because I'm in the market, but, but if you look at historic venture returns uh, from previous sort of generations, that they, they weren't great, and the UK moved very quickly to, um, I suppose, private equity and large scale buyouts, which I was involved in, and moved away from the space. But but I think the the world has changed. I think there's, you know, I think some of the early technologies that I was involved in when I was at university, and then uh, have now come on to be. You know, very, they're starting to build the basis of very large businesses, and um, the UK needs to be able to support those. And I think the ecosystem that we all hoped that we would build, uh, or I, I, I was hoping that I'd be part of back in sort of the early 
um, or 2012-13 is actually starting to really um, take shape. So I think there will be more capital flows. Okay, into this. Can, I, can, I just, can I just stop you there? Because that's yeah. a really interesting point. So you, you're saying the ecosystem you hoped that we build from 13-14. What, what's that look like? Is it because we're getting more and more uh, later stage funds that are investing and helping those businesses stay in the UK? Because obviously we always used to see that whole big US company comes in and yeah. buys it or they go to the US and then big company, US company buys it. I mean, what, what's, what's kind of keeping the British ecosystem, I, I suppose, on track to, to, to become a great centre yeah, for, for growth. Yeah, there's still too much of that. I mean, I, I think, mm. I, I mean, just 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 to be, to be open with you, the exit that we've had, uh, although it's been a phenomenal return for us, that company has sold to a US uh, large financial uh, institution. And there will always be a question Although I think it was the right decision, there'll always be a question as whether we sold, or, well, whether whether that company sold out too early. I think when, when I when I when I talk about the ecosystem, I, when I first got into venture investing, the the seed and the A market was broken, um, and actually I think we've gone a long way to fixing that. But that that clearly has had its challenges in terms of driving up valuations and everything that's going on in that market. I very think James, when you say broken, yeah. very quickly, how is it broken? There wasn't enough capital. I mean, there, there was this was early days. Of, you know, sorry, this is winding about seven, eight years ago. This was early days of the UK tentatively trying to build an ecosystem that could support our ambition to build the UK, well, build the next generation of, of tech success stories. And I think a lot of focus and government focus has been put on providing capital to that stage: VCTs, Enterprise Capital Fund Program, EIS, SEIS. It's it has worked and it it, it the, has the future fund. <laughs> yeah, well, the future fund. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm sure they'll be very successful. Um, but um, I think I think the you know the, it, it's it's the journey past day which still needs work. And I think, but but one thing I think the UK has done really well is where in the past we never had the success stories. We are starting. To see them, so and the dark um, days, you know, the yeah, yeah, monster yeah. Wise, currency cloud, the revolute, yeah. currency cloud, yeah. uh, you know that you know all these unicorns that we're now, you know, are are, are starting to get some serious interest from, uh, well, both, uh, I, I suppose, UK um, uh, based private equity funds, which I'm seeing starting to move down, US funds, hedge but also funds. actually, yeah, hedge funds. I, it's interesting to see that actually LPs are now seeing this as a viable asset class to invest in. They would not have touched venture 10 years ago, right? I've got an allocation to private equity. These guys deliver me two times my money day in, day out. It's stable. It's, it, it works. But actually, their alternatives bucket now is more focused on, uh, on a more diverse set of returns. So I, I think that's when quite When you say venture, were you saying venture as an entire asset class or specifically UK venture? Okay. No, specifically early stage investing, which okay. I, I, you know, my experience of LPs uh, from my sort of Montague days were, you know, they're very happy to the to invest in someone who will, you know, relatively stably deliver them two two and a half x their money, but 
touch the early stage stuff, oh, no, it's a bit too risky. But actually, mm. I think they are allocating. I think I think Omers is quite a good example of that with what they're doing in the UK and what Harry's doing. But, um, you know, I think I think there will be greater focus on those funds investing in early stage uh, fund managers uh, and, and maybe even directly. So I think I think that hopefully is where the UK will be heading. And actually, to Chris's point, we, we might not have to sell these companies out to their US you know, sort of counterparts or, or, or big uh, strategics. Hopefully we can keep them in the UK for, for longer. Because there's more capital to fund them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, you know, we, was it, um, there was an article in the City AM this week, I think Anthony sent it over, 121 tech IPOs in the UK this year. Um, I suppose that, that helps. Um, it depends on, you know, how long some of these publicly listed tech companies actually <laughs> don't get bought by their US or Asian competitors, I suppose. I've got the title here. Powered by Darktrace and Wise, IPOs in UK jump 310% in a year with 113 companies listing in London. Okay, but obviously there was probably a bit of a hangover from 2020 that's bulked up those numbers. But I think the other interesting thing was uh, uh, July and August were like a record two-month period, for which obviously all those lovely people at the LSE must have been moaning about because <laughs> they probably would have been sunning their bodies usually at that time of the year. <laughs> Not this year. Anyhow, um, sorry, Neil, if you're listening. Um, so going back to your really interesting point, James, and I'm sorry I'm labouring this, but I agree with you that we could be on the cusp of, you know, I suppose greatness that the UK actually does build a technology ecosystem that, you know, the top 20 FTSE 100 companies, five or six or seven of them are, uh, you know, what well, you could call them digital businesses. And yeah. I suppose, you know, the caveat is exactly that, that as we look out that over the next three to five to maybe three to five years, maybe up to 2030, the shape of all businesses in the UK, I would hope and imagine, are going to become more digitally or orientated because in some of the industries they have to to survive. So just yeah. curious if either you or Johnny have views on, I suppose it's a big, bit of a bigger picture question, but, you know, are you do you feel that the businesses you're investing in now are set to become, you know, future industry leaders in their own right or are they right for that sort of big you know if it's fintech big bank to come along and become and for that particular technology to become a big part of that suite of products or or, or how that how that business operates i think it's a mix i think if you looked at our portfolio there's sort of one or two that have made statements that they wish to access the public markets in 22 or 23 and they're getting to the scale sort of sub above 30 40 million in revenue where they can do that you know mm -hmm. getting their own banking licenses and things from a fintech side so those sort of people who whilst they're certainly category leaders today would go on to become to remain an independent category leader i think there's others um that it's clear that they whilst they're getting quite punchy and large on the revenue and valuation side they will ultimately, they will always be a target of, you know, a US 
corporate you know, an, an oracle or whoever it may be because they just fit into their into their roadmap and their product suite so it's you know without being flippant it's probably it's a bit of both i would say but maybe more maybe if you looked at if you asked that question five years ago you would think that it'd be a very high percentage would be acquired and just fitted in as a product to a larger a larger mm -hmm. tech outfit whereas now the pendulum has swung more towards those that will remain independent in their own right and, and remain category leaders maybe in the, mm -hmm. in the public yeah i mean right. there's probably a couple johnny isn't there where you you know they, they've used technology in a very clever way to solve a problem that, that's not novel right it's not it's not a new problem there's, there's already existing businesses that do what they do but the, the technology advantage that these guys have just make them a category leader and you you could see you you could see very clearly that they could they themselves could be the acquirers rather than the being acquired and you could see very easily that they they could build very quickly uh large and profitable scalable businesses uh by by hoovering up really outdated legacy companies um and i think that's quite exciting and i think ultimately whether that ends up in a listing or whatever it ends up in but i think that, that that's one of the changes that i've seen which is um you know so in particularly in two cases where you just look at them and you look at what they've achieved and why they're so successful it's because of they've got a competitive advantage for with their technology which no one else can replicate or, or hope to do so i think you know, if we, if we can find more of those, well, I say we as pollution, but actually the UK as a whole, um, I think we can build a very interesting, you know, track record of success in, in this space uh, and, you know, attract the capital that we all hope that will be there. Yeah, and I think to your point earlier, that, that that journey will be just be elongated. There'll be, there's enough capital to fund them as an independent for longer, as opposed to selling out yeah. earlier. And... I think we we have touched on this. The UK government, obviously, some classic headlines around Peppa Pig in in the recent week or so. Um, we, is it key to actually getting its act in order to create this digital UK powerhouse ecosystem? I mean, we're all seeing stuff from Tech Nation, and I love all I love all the things that those guys do and you know and i think it's brilliant and you know ross at tech london advocates but like you said earlier i think james it's it's still not big enough and it probably does need greater frames and 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 and, and help from uk government i mean would, would you have any advice there um well, so I think the UK government has been effective in certain parts of the market. Um, I don't think there can be any doubt of that. And, and, and certainly, if, you're, if your listener base is venture funds, uh, in spite of the uh, EIF disappearing, um, actually, the UK government has been the largest investor in, you know, venture-backed or venture-style funds and uh, you know, through its VCT and EIS program. So I, th I think there's there's a lot of good that they've done. I think there's a lot of support that they've provided. I think um, I think where 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 they've been trying to, well, certainly I, I saw a couple of years ago they were trying to be more helpful. Was trying to encourage pension funds to invest in this asset class, which I think I think ultimately 
wasn't going to succeed. I, I don't think the government slapping requirements on pension funds to put their money into this was, was ever going to be a success unless the UK started demonstrating that we could do it. And I think now that we're starting to demonstrate we can do it, just naturally that, that dynamic will change. A really interesting perspectives, guys. Um, uh, just, I, I suppose we're, we're coming to the close of the, of the call. I mean, I, I it's a bit of a curveball, but, you know, I suppose from a volution perspective or you know, just in general, I mean, what, what's the sort of, what's the, I suppose, the fear or the clang that you, you really worry about with the business? Because it, it sounds like, you know, and I don't want to cast any doubts on this. The business sounds brilliant. It's really going well. I'm really happy for you both. And, you know, and I love seeing success stories like this. But is, is there something that, you, you know, fear might be a, uh, you know, a problem lurking that you want to avoid or or more generally, you know, you've kind of, we've touched on a lot of things about the wider ecosystem. Is it something in the wider ecosystem that you, you worry about? Just just kind of, if you could maybe tackle that. Yeah, uh, I think one thing that springs to mind, I wouldn't say it's a worry, it's probably softer than that, but it's just sort of out there, probably in backs of some people's minds is, you know, there's a lot of pots of new money that have come into the venture space. I think I read something recently that something like only 40 or 50% of sort of B rounds done in the in Europe or the UK, I can't remember, over the last year have actually come from traditional VCs because there's been these crossover pots of money, there's been hedge funds coming in. And, you know, that's driven valuations up. And so there's, you know, one is always mindful that, you know, or if you were given, if you were able to control that, or you, to answer your question, do you want those valuations to keep going up constantly, or is the you know can it get overinflated? So just mindful that um, the, the the price increases uh, and the frothiness doesn't over doesn't over bubble. You know, so it's ensuring that a consistent slow growth is great, but you don't want it to get too carried away. Because, you know, from a fundraising side, you know, new investors coming in also need to be mindful of their returns on it as well. And you're paying a high price in, you've got to get a higher, higher price out. So I suppose it's just that, yeah, yeah. that piece in the background. I think my biggest worry is, um, so we're, we're, we're very good at championing our success stories. And, you know, you, you see all over the, the press, the ones that do phenomenally well. I think the only way that UK succeeds is for venture funds to demonstrate return. And I, I think the jury's still out on that. It'd be interesting, um, you know, because some, some of these some of these venture funds, okay, well, they might be on second or third stage funds now, but but actually how successful have those funds been? Because that, that, that's the only way you start to attract more capital into the UK. So um, what we don't want is a repeat of the early 2000s uh, where you know, actually venture funds really underperformed versus the benchmark, um, which I hope won't be the case. Um, but I think the jury's still out on that. So you're saying we should be more opaque and transparent in terms of returns, because a lot of the funds out there investing today haven't ended, well, they haven't had an end of life yet. They may have three or four funds up and running, but none of them have actually come to a conclusion. Yeah, but, but, but that's why I like, that's why I like Augmentum's model right? Which is, I, li I like the fact that you can price it daily, right? It's not, it's not opaque. It's, um, I, th I think it's difficult for fund managers in the GPLP to, well, you, you'll never get any degree of transparency unless you are an LP. Um, but 
but that that's really the only way to attract um you know serious uh, money into the space good point james so would you say more funds should list obviously i think forward partners have ipo'd yeah. and yeah. you know what, what would the advice be to do that i think in an ideal world yes but i think listing brings with it certain challenges you you're, you're subject to market conditions you are um you know if you trade at a discount to your nav it's very difficult to raise more capital that there's all you know the, the the ongoing reporting required around that um so i think you know it, it, you know if we could if we could create recreate something in the uk a bit like the nasdaq then, then maybe but uh I don't, I don't know um i think i think it's quite i think it's quite difficult to list but i but i I think funds maybe should be a little that, bit more transparent. I thought that was meant to be the aim listing. Do we do we want to go there? Have we got time? No, <laughs> no. We're coming to an end, and it's been uh, yeah, it's it's been a great chat. So um, so guys, yeah, we won't we won't talk about aim because I, I you know we've all no. got on. Had our experiences there through past lives and stockbroking or, or wherever. Um, so, look, I, I suppose any parting words, guys, because it's been a fascinating chat. We covered a lot of ground, uh, really enjoyable, um, great perspectives, really quite different to a lot of the, the views we've had from previous guests, and, and that insight's been really valuable. So, um, Anthony, any anything from you that you might want to wrap up on? No, oh, thank you both for your time. Yeah, anything, guys, that yeah, thank we, you. we haven't covered that you might think we should end on, or should we just say our goodbyes and welcome to the weekend? No, I mean, if anybody, uh, if any of your venture listeners or um, companies are interested in what we do, then, you know, very happy to reach out to either myself or Johnny. Um, we're very approachable, very open. Um, all details uh, on the website, are they? Or, or Yeah, they, know, yeah. Best way. Great. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Dane.